and the depth of His grace. As we think about the birth of Jesus Christ, as we think about that night in Bethlehem, and Joseph and Mary, and the shepherds, and the angels, and all the, all the things that we picture about that night, and a lot of it is, is dictated by art that we've seen, or Christmas cards, or whatever, about that night where the baby was born. And as I was thinking about this this week, I thought, if you were going to write a screenplay of that concept, of God coming to earth, of, of God intervening to rescue his creation from sin, what would your story be? How would you write it? How would you, how would you lay that out? What approach would you take in creating the idea? Would you emphasize mankind in an absolutely desperate situation with no hope of rescue, no hope of, of pulling themselves out of sin and, and the desperate need for salvation because sin corrupts and sin pollutes our souls and controls our lives and because we are under eternal condemnation because of sin. Would you emphasize that portion that man is desperate so God intervenes? Or would you emphasize that God, who is so compelled by his deep love and his deep mercy that he chose to step in and offer a way of salvation. Would you, would you put the emphasis on what God has done? How would you write it? And as you think about that, is, is the guilt and the callousness of humanity the point? Do, do we emphasize the fact that man has no escape if God is, doesn't intervene? So there's no confusion about our culpability. No confusion about the fact that we are absolutely guilty. And then if you think about how God chooses to intervene, how would you create that if it was yours to create? I know it's kind of a weirdly hypothetical thought, but just imagine it for a moment. If you were going to, to, to picture this, how God was in to intervene, what would you have him doing? Would, would you have him coming down and kind of coming boldly and throwing his weight around as God and making it clear, look, I don't have to do this. And you certainly don't deserve it. So listen, it's only because of my grace that I'm going to do that. And you really owe me. Would, would you present that side of God? You know, the Lord could have done this any way he wanted. And he would have been completely justified. He could have come down as almighty God in his holy justice and said, I'll step in, but I don't have to. That would have been perfectly defensible because he's just and we're not. He's holy and we're not. And as I think about it as a human being, if I was thinking the way God does, that's the way I would have done it. That would have been certainly very practical and justifiable. But here's the stunning thing about the Christmas count. Jesus comes in the most unusual, unexpected way. And it's marked by absolute humility rather than domination. I don't know if that's ever hit you before like it hit me this week. That there was nothing that forced the Lord to take this position. There was no reason for him to come the way that he did. And yes, he, and yet he did come that way. And, and when we think about that, just for a couple minutes tonight, it's going to show us a lot about him and about ourselves. So I want to just... Read a couple verses here from Luke 2, and then we're going to look at a couple verses from Philippians and light our candles and say goodnight. But look at Luke 2, Luke 2 
verses 8 to 10. Very familiar, but read them like they're the first time. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields. Picture it now in your mind. Some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock. A lot of sheep out. It's nighttime. Suddenly the sky lights up. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they, understandably, were completely frightened. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the first way Jesus showed his humility is that he came here as a baby. Now, we've heard that hundreds of times. We've seen that depicted on Christmas cards. It probably doesn't even amaze us the way that it should. But here's God himself, not only taking on the form of a man, but starting out as an infant. We sang that line, worship Christ, the newborn king, maybe without even realizing what an amazing reality that is. How can the almighty, powerful creator, God, who, who, who made all of us in his own image, who has authority over all things, think about it now, how could he come as a helpless baby? In fact, I was struck by four characteristics of that approach that almost seem a contradiction to, to, uh, to his power and his authority until we understand why he did it. The angel says, look at it, unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Each of those words is completely significant. A Savior means that Jesus is a deliverer. He's come to rescue us from our sin. Then it says he's Christ. That means he's the anointed Son of God. There's no question about who he is. This is God in flesh. And then it says he's Christ the Lord. Lord means that he's the owner of all things. So you've got the Deliverer, who's the anointed Son of God, fully God in flesh, and He's the owner of all things. There's no question about who He is. There's no question about what He's come to do. But then the angel says something that I think had to just surprise the shepherds and maybe just kind of stun them to like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Look, he says, you will find a baby. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. And and I got to think the shepherds are going, wait, what? You just said he's the son of God. You said he's the savior. You said he's the owner of all things. We got all that part. But, But wait a second. Didn't you just say that he's come as a newborn? Now, the shepherds couldn't have fully understood that concept that night. But 2,000 years later, there are really four amazing facts about this. Even though Jesus is the word of God, he's coming with the gospel of redemption through himself. As a baby, think about it, he's speechless. He's unable to communicate anything at this point. And even though he's the savior who alone can take away the pain and the penalty and the price of sin and meet all our needs, as a baby now, he's dependent on his earthly parents to provide for his needs. And even though he's the ruler and the king with absolute authority over all things, who answers to no one, whose throne is absolutely eternal, as a baby, he's placed in a feeding trough used by animals instead of a palace. And then an earthly king pursues him and tries to kill him. And even as 
the only true God who's unquestioned and unchallenged in his power and his authority. As a baby, he's come to be one of us and to live as us and save us. Now, now why did God do it that way? Why arrive in the most humble way possible when he justifiably could have come with righteous pride and said, I'm God, I'm here, you answer to me, you can't meet my holy standard, you owe me, you can't pay the price. So I'm stepping in, but understand what's going on here. I believe the answer to that gives us tremendous insight as much into the heart of mankind as it does into the heart of God. Remember, our default position, listen very closely now, our default position as human beings is anti-God. We are indelibly marked by sin, we're morally corrupted with no chance of changing it, and we are innately proud of that. We're marked by sin, we have no way out, and we're happy about it. Now maybe that's you tonight. And I want you to know that Jesus came to change you. Just as he changed me in 1974, he wants to save you and he wants to deliver you and he wants to transform you from the position and the posture you're in right now of being in defiance against him by sin nature and he wants to cleanse you and give you a new nature and fill you with confident hope as his adopted child. That's what he wants to do for you. So please listen to this next part very, very closely and open up your heart and mind to the Holy Spirit of God because what is undeniable and what is proven every single day is that our human nature is set in complete opposition to God. Because of sin which infects every person, our nature is rebellious and resistant and defiant, and there is no record, there's no evidence in history that we are sorry about that at all. There's no record that our sin nature is seeking forgiveness and that we're reaching out and we want to restore, we want it restored what's broken because of our sin without Him first stepping in. So if that's our nature, if that's our posture, and it is, listen now, if that is, what would draw us in? If we're that hostile toward God because of our sin, and we're that insubordinate, would we respond well by Him coming as the powerful judge and the authority and bringing condemnation and proving our moral reprobation and saying, you have to respond? Knowing our pride, knowing how stubborn we are, would we easily admit, Oh, yes, it is our fault, and of course we need a Savior. And praise you, Lord, for for pointing that out harshly and demanding that we change. Would we respond to that? If that was the best approach that God could take, and he's all wise, then why are so many people today opposed to him? Why do so many people balk at the concept that the Lord is holy and that he's able to hold us accountable for our sin? And even when they hear about Jesus, even when they hear about the baby in the manger, do they continue to reject him with impunity? God could have come that way. He would have been justified. He would have been right. But here's what's so amazing about the love and grace of God. And if you get nothing else this weekend, I pray that you get this. Knowing that, 
he didn't just wave his hand and say, you are stubborn and rebellious and helpless. Instead, he reached down in the only way that would attract us, even at the cost of showing humility. Some people would say, well, that makes God weak. God had to condescend to us and that he's less than God because he had to do it this way. But that's exactly the point of Luke 2. God didn't have to do anything. He could have said, look, you've sinned. You've broken my standard. I owe you zero. So good luck. Sorry, you're going to hell because that's what you chose. That's not what he did. And not only did he not have to do anything, but he was justified in that. But here's the amazing thing that the choir just sang about. Here's Emmanuel, God with us in the manger. And that little child showed the depth of God's love and God's mercy. Turn over just a moment to one more passage and then we're going to pray. Look over at Philippians 2 for a moment. Because there's one more aspect of how Jesus was humble. How he showed his love. He came as a baby, that's first. When he didn't have to, but that's what he did. And then second, I want you to see that he took on a role that he certainly did not have to do. And it's the role of the bondservant. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Now, the passage says that Jesus emptied himself to come here and take the form of a servant. Now, I want to tell you, that's a theological concept that we can't understand. Till we get to heaven, we won't know how that worked. But let me try my best in my limited ability to explain that. It means that Jesus, while he was here, willingly deferred his rights to act as God in order to live as a man. Now, he didn't lose the rights. He didn't become less than God because he was still fully God. And he could access those rights at any moment. And he did to heal people and to teach and to go to the cross and to rise again. But while he was here, he chose not to desire recognition as God, but to take the role of a bondservant. He could have come as a warrior He could have come as a king. He could have just shown up and said, I'm God, deal with it. But instead, he shows up as a baby. He doesn't draw attention to himself. The heavens don't light up with trumpets so the whole world sees it. Just some shepherds out in a field that are hearing the angels. Nobody else around hears the news. And as shepherds just go into town and they find this little manger and they see Joseph and Mary and the baby and they praise God. It says they went away praising God for what they had seen. He doesn't come and show up and say, Herod, you're done. I'm king. He shows up as a baby. And what does it mean to be a bondservant? Well, a bondservant in the Old Testament was a slave that was allowed, slaves were allowed to be freed every seven years unless 
the slave said, no, I love my master so much that I am going to voluntarily choose to stay as a servant. To be a bondservant meant that you willingly gave yourself up to another's will in disregard of your own will, interests, and desires. So Jesus says, I didn't come to do my will. Think about this. He's talking about him as a human. I didn't come to exert my way and do my thing. I came to do the will of the one who sent me. And the one who sent him was the father who sent him to go to the cross to die for you and me. And then to defeat sin and death forever. And he was so committed to this that he even allowed himself to go out into the desert and be tempted by the devil himself. You want a question? You want to know how God loves you tonight? You want to know how God is merciful to you? Well, the humility of that is stunning. Knew what he'd have to go through physically, the torture and the pain. He knew he did have to go through emotionally, being almost alone and being mocked by his creation. And he knew he'd have to go through spiritually, having all the weight of billions of people laid upon him. And knowing all that, he still emptied himself for us. And by choosing to do that, by choosing to take on the role of the bondservant, Jesus not only showed his willingness to become the sacrifice for our sins, but he also gave himself as the perfect example of what we are called to do in giving our lives to him to be saved. Listen, God will never coerce you into being saved. Jesus didn't come to point us out and say, oh, you, Rhodes, you need to be saved. He didn't haul me up before everybody and say, look how guilty he is. Let me give you a list of Paul Rhodes' sins. Let me tell you all the times he's offended me. You know what? You have to trust me. He never does that. He comes humbly. He comes as a baby. He takes the role of a bondservant. And it's so persuasive how much he loves us. And so persuasive how merciful he is. And it's so accessible that the only response we can have is yes. If God's willing to go to this extent to offer us salvation with Jesus becoming a baby and taking on that role in humility and sacrifice, then we have to understand that the only, one, only thing we can do to react is to say, God, I love you, and I'm so grateful that you love me, and my life is yours. And when we do that, we're called to live with the exact same humility to have this attitude that was in Christ. Not just to hear the story again. Jesus came, he was in a manger, the shepherds, the angels, the wise men, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, let's get to tomorrow. No, don't glide past it. Be awed by it. Be awed by it tonight. Come on. This is God intervening. We've heard it so many times. I'm 52 years old. I've heard this so many times. But God, I want to be awed by it tonight. I want to be overwhelmed by it tonight that you would do this for us. It's not a position of weakness. It's a position of strength. It's the power of Christ that is blessing us and given to us and moving in our lives. And when we respond, I'm done. When we respond by faith, what does God do? The angel says, peace among men with whom God's pleased. 
The only way to have God pleased with you is to trust Christ to give him your life. And I don't know about you, but the world is lacking peace tonight. There's no security. There's no comfort. There's no safety. You could just as easily go to the mall to pick up that last gift and have somebody shoot you or blow you up as you could being in Syria tonight. There's no peace. There's no security. And yet God says, listen now, peace among those with whom God is pleased. If you haven't trusted Christ, I'm telling you right now, you need to do that. And I'm not saying that condemning. I'm not saying that to force you. I can't force you to do that. All I can do is appeal to you that God loves you so much. That Christ came for you and for me. And he secured complete victory forever. And if you want to talk about that, listen, it's Christmas Eve. I don't care. I'll stay after and talk to you. Because I want you to know salvation. I want you to go to bed tonight knowing Jesus came for me. And my life is his. And praise God, I'm saved forever. Don't go to bed tonight without knowing that. And if you do know him, we praise him. We praise him for what he has done. Let's close our eyes. Praise him as I pray.